Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Refinery Life Church, and welcome to another Tuesday evening teaching. It's amazing. We're almost at the end of January again. January 2023, almost at the end. We've almost made it through another month. Praise the Lord. That means we're one month closer to the Lord coming back. Amen. Amen. You know, if you're looking for a new church home, why don't you come and join us at the refinery? We meet at 9.30 on Sundays at 23 T.E. Peters Drive at Broadbeach. We'd love to see you there. You know, we're a friendly church. We preach the word of God. And on the 5th of February, we have Brother Sadu coming all the way from Singapore to minister to the church. He's only preaching in one place on the Gold Coast, and that's the refinery. So if you're interested in joining us, make sure you register so we know we have enough seats for everybody. So come and join us. And why don't you join me now in the Lord's Prayer? We pray the Lord's Prayer every time we meet because when the disciples said to Jesus, teach us how to pray, this was his response. He said, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Such a simple prayer, isn't it? That we can all remember. Most of us have been taught that prayer as infants, and we remember it right through to our, our older ages. Now, the four Gospels contain the written testimony of the inspired writers who report not only the events in Jesus' life, but also the significance of those events. Paul's letters were written to exalt Jesus and to explain the meaning of his life and his teachings. They were also written to meet the great needs of the early disciples. The central theme of the Apostle Paul is the theme that we're working through, and it's based on the first five letters, or his, his, his major letters, his five major letters. And today's message is something that we all need to start understanding, and it's Christian unity. The text that we're going to concentrate on today is Ephesians 4, 1 to 3. It talks about walking in unity. If you've got your Bible, open it up. Let's read them together. I'm reading from the New King James Version, but you can read from whichever version you like. Verse 1 says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Let's just pause there for a moment. Walk worthy in the calling that you were called, not someone else's, that you were called. Verse 2. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Verse 3. Endeavouring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Pretty good instructions, right? The Scripture is going to work through. We'll expand on those a little bit. It's Ephesians 4, 1 to 6. So let's read it again because we need to understand this. I therefore beseech, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Verse 4 There is one body and one Spirit just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, and one baptism. One God and Father of all who is above all and through all and you, sorry, and in you all. 
in you all. And then let's look at Ephesians 4, 28 through to 32. Verse 28 says, Let him who stole steal no longer. This might be a message for some of us this evening. But rather let him labor, working with his hands, what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Verse 29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Verse 31, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, and clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you, with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Praise the Lord for that. Let's pray for our offering before we go any further this evening. We pray for our offering every time we take up an offering. We pray for it. We don't do offering messages, but we do pray for the offering. So we want to make sure it's blessed, and we want to make sure that the people who sow into this ministry are also blessed. So, Father, we come to you today because you made us. You redeemed us. And we acknowledge that every good and perfect gift come from your bountiful hands. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of giving to you, for the glory of your name and your cause. The words of Jesus are so true, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Thank you, Lord, for this heavenly blessing. And it's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray this evening. Amen. Amen. You know, Paul didn't deal with any problems in his letter to the Ephesians. Not like some of the other letters he wrote. All news was good news from the people at Ephesus. And Paul had the joyous privilege of writing a positive letter to encourage them. The theme of his letter is Christian unity. And Paul had established many churches and watched them grow. So he realized that without unity, nothing else really matters. And with unity, nothing can defeat the church. In his first three chapters, Paul laid the foundation for Christian unity. In his last two chapters, he described the practical results of that unity. And in chapter 4, he dealt with the heart and the soul of Christian unity. Today we are going to focus on our attention on this fourth chapter. Here Paul spoke of first, the behavior of Christian unity. Second, the basis of Christian unity. And third, the benefits of it. So let's look at the behavior of Christian unity first this evening. Paul began with behavior because it has everything to do with Christian unity. Your behavior has everything to do with it. Often it appears that behavior is more important than beliefs in maintaining the unity of the church. For example, in the church there are many different beliefs, aren't there? Concerning prophecy, concerning the return of Christ, concerning social practices, and yet there's still unity. But we can absolutely destroy this, mis this unity by misbehavior. Few church splits can be traced to bad theology, very few, but many can be traced to bad behavior within the church. Therefore, Paul quickly and directly dealt with the behavior as a matter of priority. Verse 1 says, I beseech you, 
to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Church, I beseech you this evening to walk worthy of the calling that you were called. In case the church at Ephesus didn't understand what, call of, what kind of behaviour Paul was talking about, he spelled it out for them. He listed seven characteristics of the kind of behaviour that builds Christian unity. Let's look at them. First, it's compatible with our calling. If we are to help bring Christian unity, we must conduct ourselves in a manner that doesn't reflect poorly on our calling as Christians. Since we bear the name of Christ, we must never bring that name into disrepute. That sits squarely on you, church. Are you bringing the Lord's name into disrepute because of your behaviour? Second thing is it is humble. We must not be conceited or egotistical or proud. A very wise person once said, egotism is the sedative that nature provides to deaden the pain of being a fool. But how does humility come about, you might ask? It comes from two things. First one is self-knowledge. Humility depends on honesty. It depends on having the courage to look at ourselves without the rose-tinted glasses of self-admiration and self-love. Yeah, that's one of the biggest scourges on society at the moment where we hear, you know, just love yourself. Love yourself. No, love God. And the second thing is God knowledge. Humility comes from comparing our lives with the life of Christ. Humility comes from comparing our lives with the life of Christ. We've got to understand that. As long as we compare ourselves with others, we come, may come out looking pretty good. It is when we compare ourselves with Christ that we see our failures. God knowledge plus self-knowledge equals humility. Third thing is it is gentle. Those who are gentle are so God-controlled that they are continually kind and gracious towards others. They are people in whom self has died and through whom Christ in all of his humility lives. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of the God who loved me and gave himself for me. Fourth thing is it's patient. Patience has been defined as the spirit that has the power to take revenge but never does. Patience is the spirit that bears Insult without bitterness or complaint. Our fifth thing is it's magnanimous. As Christians, we must make allowances for one another. We must be magnanimous towards others and their faults as God has been towards us. Sixth thing is it's loving. We should bear with one another, not through sheer grit and determination, but through Christian love. That's how we should bear with one another. There are four Greek words for love, but the word used here is the highest of all. It means that we must love others so much that they, nothing that they say or nothing that they do can keep us from loving them and seeking their highest good. That's the type of love that Paul's talking about here. Even though they mistreat us and hurt us, we feel only kindness towards them. Now, I know that's hard. And the seventh thing is it's peaceable. Peace doesn't happen on its own. We must make it happen. The Bible doesn't say blessed 
are the peacekeepers, does it? It says, blessed are the peacemakers. And the second thing this evening is the basis of Christian unity. What is it? Behaviour is important to Christian unity. But a sound basis is absolutely indispensable. What is the basis? What is the foundation on which Christian unity is built? Paul laid seven foundation stones. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism and one God. Let's look at them. Firstly, one body. Christ is the head of the church. Sorry, Christ is the head and the church is his body. The unity of the church is essential for the work of Christ. Let me say that again because some people out there believe that they don't need to be part of the church. The unity of the church is essential for the work of Christ. He only works through his church people. Second is one spirit and then there's one hope. This is the hope of the ultimate consummation of our salvation in heaven. There's one Lord, our Lord. There's one faith. Paul was not talking about a set of beliefs that may characterize a particular denomination. There's one faith by which people come into the saving relationship as, with Christ as Lord. There may be many faiths or denominations, but there is only one faith by which we can be saved, and that's the faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior. There's one baptism, just as there is one faith through which we come into a saving relationship with Christ, there is one baptism through which we make outward demonstration of that inward experience. That's why when we do baptisms at the refinery, we do them outside so the world can see. Because it's that outward demonstration of the inward experience. There's one God. I'm sorry, but Buddha and all of those others, Allah, they're not God. Big G, there's one God. And there's one God unites us into a one family of God. Paul said four things about the one God. He is father of all. That is, he created everything. He is above all. That is, he controls everything. He is through all. Which means he sustains all. And he is in all which means he's present everywhere. So the third thing this evening is the benefits of Christian unity. What are they? Predictably, people ask, why all the fuss about unity? Does it really make that much difference? What are the benefits of Christian unity? The last five verses of this chapter list those benefits. Here we learn that unity in the church does make a difference, makes a big difference. Let's look at what happens when unity prevails. Firstly, conduct is changed. When there's Christian unity, there is a change in the conduct of the people. No longer do we ask, what can I get? But rather, what can I share? Now, some of you need to hear that this evening. We see so many people going into churches wanting to know what they can get. They're coming in with the wrong attitudes. They should be coming in with, what can I share? When we are united in allowing the Holy Spirit to fill us, the hope of heaven to challenge us, and the Lord Jesus Christ to guide us, our conduct is changed. Second thing is our conversation is clean. 
Verse 29 says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. It's difficult, if not impossible, to be in unity with God and his people if you still have a filthy mouth. An ancient proverb says, The heart of a man is a well, and the mouth of a man is a bucket. And that which is in the well of the heart can be determined by what is in the bucket of the mouth. Commitment has deepened when we have Christian unity. Are you willing to pay the price? When we live each moment aware that there is but one Holy Spirit by which whom we have been born again, we desire to do nothing to grieve him. One of the benefits of Christian unity is that we reach a level of commitment beyond which we will not grieve the Holy Spirit. Nothing is conflict is eliminated. Unity gets rid of conflict. Conflict comes from the sins of the Spirit. Paul had dealt with the sins of the flesh already. Now we dealt with the sins of the Spirit or the, the Christian sins. You can't tell me that Christians can't be sinners. Just have a look around you. Christian sins are identified as bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking and all malice. When we are one in Christ, we are free from such disruptive and dis divisive conflicts. When we have Christian unity, kindness is practiced. To be kind means to exercise thoughtful consideration. Let me say that again. To be kind means to exercise thoughtful consideration. That doesn't mean don't rebuke someone and don't correct someone. You're not being kind if you're not correcting them. It's to exercise thoughtful consideration. So as we finish up this evening, when the Roman soldiers on guard at Jesus' crucifixion were dividing the prisoners' clothes, they came to Jesus' coat and they discovered that it was seamless. To tear it would ruin it. For this reason they decided to Keep it intact and cast lots for it. The seamless robe of Christ has become a metaphor for the unity of the church. I pray that one day the church may once again be seamless like the seamless robe of Christ. The metaphor is one of great beauty and appropriateness, isn't it? Trouble and divisions within the church have been ugly efforts to tear into pieces the sacred garment of truth. Perhaps you've been part of that in the past. If so, it's probably a good time to repent for it and move on. The one that was crucified must look down sadly at the miserable conflict between those that he died to redeem. His look of love and sorrow is reminiscent of his prayer in John 17.23. It says, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. It's powerful, isn't it? I want to encourage you, as I do every week, to be diligent with your Bible study time because God has so much more for us than we can get from just going to church once or twice a week and hearing someone else talk about the Word. When you spend time with God, your life will change in amazing ways because our God is a Redeemer. There's nothing that's too hard for him. And if you allow him, he'll make you whole, spirit, soul, and body. And you're important to God, you know that, but you're also important to us at the refinery. And when it comes to prayer, we believe that God wants to meet your needs 
and reveal his promises directly to you. So whatever you're concerned about and you need prayer for, we want to be here for you. Even if you just want to say hi, you can contact us on www.refinerylife.org or via any of our social media channels. Now this year we're believing is a year of divine restoration and divine recovery. So let me encourage you, get closer to God. If you want to join our daily devotionals, get in contact with us and we'll send you the link. And until next time, stay in the blessings.